I'm a city kid. But although I grew up in the concrete jungle in a ninth floor apartment with two chains and two deadbolt locks on the front door, and even though I made my way from an early age through the underworld alphabet maze of the New York City subway system, I have experienced nature that wasn't just cut flowers from a neighborhood florist. I was a fortunate person who grew up steps from Central Park and whose parents recognized the importance of giving their city kids experiences in the country. We had a simple cabin in the mountains where I learned the pleasure of picking wild blackberries every August and canned jam with my mother each year as well. Thanks to Girl Scouts, I know how to use a pocket knife, can cook in the woods, and survive in nature, even though sometimes it's scarier than the L train from DeKalb Avenue or the A up to Fort Washington Avenue when they were in the 70s and 80s. My eighth grade science teacher at IS44 even took a group of us to a nursery in an outer borough and taught us how to force bulbs to grow in our classroom over several months. We went to an abandoned lot in our neighborhood and collected bricks, which we laid as apprentice masons on the top of the bookshelf at the back of the classroom to rest the pots of hyacinths and tulips. I love that project more than any other I have ever done as a student, and hyacinths remain my favorite foley flower. When I moved out of the city 17 years ago, I thought I had arrived in the country. It was mid-May. Mount Kisco was so quiet, so green, so much like my association with tiny Pocono pines of my childhood. Waking up and seeing frost on the grass, feeling the air, it was all like that to me. But I realized soon it wasn't quite the same. I found I was always in a car. I had to drive everywhere, even to the store. And suddenly, I began to realize then that unlike the city of my past, I was even farther removed from nature than ever. Now, everything was a destination. Drive to the playground with the girls. Drive to the supermarket and make the trip count. Load up on as much food and supplies as possible in one trip. And while these many years as a suburbanite have been spent nourishing and growing both a family and another stage of my career as a teacher, they had also made me the car-bound consumer who no longer lingered at a green grocer for that evening's meal or who was connected to the neighborhood in the big, impersonal stores I was now supporting. Being close to nature was when we finally bought our condo in 1999. I bought flowers and planted them in my postage stamp backyard plot, no vegetables permitted. Each year, I enjoyed the bulbs and perennials I planted then. Each year, I weed a little and clip a little, but that combined with blackberry picking and bulb forcing, had been the extent of my gardening experience. Last year, 
I learned about Intergenerate and the opportunity to have my own garden plot and give back to the community at the same time. I had already been trying hard over the years to bring healthier food choices into my family's life and had transitioned to buying as much organic, fresh food as I could. Here was an opportunity to actually grow my own food. In a way, I jumped into doing this without really thinking about what that might mean for me and how hard it might be. I signed up. Then I got nervous. And then I went to the garden. Here, just a couple of miles from my home, was a beautiful expanse of nature. I could walk a trail, sit by the pond, and actually get down on my knees and dig in the earth. I was lucky because the day I arrived with my distracted daughter, not you, and some small spades, some tomato plants, and not much else, Susie was there to help me. Well, I don't think that that was why Susie was actually there, but she certainly did help me. That was cool. I left tired and dirty and pleased that I had actually planted something in my plot. My favorite times to return were always in the early morning when I often shared the garden only with a pesky chipmunk, butterflies, and birds. Although I had originally hoped my children would be at my side helping me throughout the growing season, I soon learned in my morning contemplations that this was the next stage in my nurturing. I am letting go of them, releasing them to their own plots, which have yet to be tilled, and now I am growing something anew. Visits to the garden expanded to different times, and I met many new people, and each was like a garden fairy for me. Would you like a sunflower? How about a hot chili pepper plant? Oh, your garden looks so lovely. We learned from each other and cared for each other and shared ideas for cooking the foods we had grown but had never even tasted before. I chronicled my garden weeks on Facebook with mobile uploads and shared my back-to-nature experiences with my Web 2.0 family. I fed my children and husband. I stopped buying vegetables from the supermarket for most of the entire summer and swore that I would not buy tomatoes there ever again. I've been faithful to that promise thus far. I felt good, ate well, and missed my garden when I was away from it. I worried about some of the plants more than others. I couldn't wait to return to it after I'd been away. And I felt the sadness of the approaching fall days as the garden slowly began its dying phase. This is the circle of life I realized here in my garden. I hadn't felt so close to it before, and I felt the shortening days and the possible return to a lifestyle away from nature encroaching. This is why I am here today. I am heartened by the light now as I drive to work early each morning and the lingering rays at the end of the day. It's Earth Day and Palm Sunday, and Easter is rising, and so, too, will my garden. Yesterday, I went to the garden for its opening day before all the rain came. I felt the earth. I know once again I can grow something. Just like I look forward to the scent of the hyacinths each spring, 
Now I can look forward to the return of spring and planting once again. Yes, I am still nervous. The harvest may not be as heaping this year, but my beginner's luck was matched by other things even better that the garden has brought to me. Just like Easter's coming promise and the ever-returning hyacinths, I will keep the faith and plant again. At this time, we are going to collect our offering for the month, and for the months of March and April, we will share it with the Westchester, with Westchester United, an emerging interfaith coalition dedicated to grassroots social change. Thank you for your generosity. My mother's yard on Strawtown Road in Clarkstown had plantings that I can still name to this day. Nothing exceptional, no exotic specimens, trustworthy stalwarts found in many yards. She diligently tended every spring, summer, and fall. After my mother's untimely death in 1992, my sister-in-law traveled east from Seattle, and she double-dug an eight-foot square garden bed for me a garden bed that helped me rediscover a whole world and connected me to my mother and all other gardeners. Gardening makes you humble, keeps you agile physically and mentally, and is rewarding. You don't always get what you expect, and its surprises can turn out to be fortuitous. My halcyon gardening days were from 1994 through 99 in Northport in Suffolk County. I thought I had a green thumb. Little did I know that the soil in this area is some of the best in the country. (laughs) Everything I touched grew wonderfully. Uh, The downside to gardening is we never know just how many gardening seasons we will have in our lives or how many years we will have in the same garden. We never know what changes will come to uproot us from our home or yards. And after 10 years of glorious gardening, My kid's dad announced that we would be moving to Westchester. We landed in White Plains, and my garden that year consisted of a garden gnome left by the prior owners, some mums, and a few rhubarb plants. The front of the house at the street had a huge stand of amazing lilac. Nothing else memorable except a family of wild turkey that came around every morning out back. But none of my dreams for that garden came to pass. For the next year, we moved to Armonk. <laughs> there were lots of evergreens in Armonk, very fitting because we lived on Evergreen Row. In the summer of 2004, I moved my girls for the third time in three years to Katona into a small Cape Cod which Katie picked for us because I think she fell in love with the large blooming cherry tree out front. The house is well sited, facing south on half an acre, 
and in winter we have views of a small pond at the bottom of the hill. (laughs) The first year I was too lazy to do anything, so I thought it was smarter to study the property because we are supposed to do a sun analysis around your yard. I waited another year because of the water in the basement, and I did a a very expensive drainage uh, job. That was my gardening that year. What could I show you in my Katona garden nine years later? (laughs) Not much. Calicarpa, summer sweet, Budlia, don't do it. A lilac by the front door, which a boss of mine in landscape design told me I put in the wrong place. <laughs> Two rows of Sharon, a friend Heidi who, wor- who works in the business, gave me to plant in honor of the memory of my dad who died of urethra cancer in 2007. English ivy up the side of the house. Did you know ivy is a symbol for God? Two bridal wreaths by Rhea a friend of mine gave me, an attempt at a rock garden, Lily of the Valley pips from the lady up the street, who is also a writer and a gardener, a riot of Rubecchia my friend Ridgely gave me from her yard, which has since taken over my front beds, and right now a a chorus of daffodils and crocus. And as I rewrote this Tuesday morning, I was literally watching the leaves come out on the willow and forsythia hour by hour in the rain. Emily Dickinson wrote, We should not mind so small a flower, except it quiet bring our little garden that we lost back to the lawn again. So spicy her carnations nod, so drunken reel her bees, so silver steel a hundred flutes, from out a hundred trees, that whoso sees this little flower by faith may clear behold the bobolinks around the throne and dandelion's gold. Funny, I have been in Katona for nine years now, and I am still afraid to do very much. Perhaps I am afraid of putting my sweat and toil into something and then having to be transplanted again like I was in Northport. But even when my heart is scarred and reluctant to put down roots, the ones who care about us us, gift us with plants and flowers from their gardens and bid us to stay too. Without me even realizing it, I have a garden of caring people in my life while I wasn't watching, and my friends have been busy gardening in my soul. Thank you. It is mid-January. I sit and gaze at the snow and drum my fingers on the stack of catalogs on the table. There's no more pleasant way to spend an inclement winter day than deciding which varieties of tomatoes I will grow come spring. I start as much as I can from seed because it allows me to access to an incredible variety of vegetables and flowers and because I, it allows me to be present at the very beginning of the growth process and all the way through. Visions of beans and snapdragons ready for picking dance before my eyes as I look at the snowy background. I return to my catalogs. By now, I have selected approximately $400 worth of seeds and plants for the coming season. 
All I have to do now is cut out everything I can't afford. Passion can be expensive. By March, I am dragging my friends into the basement so that they can see the shelves of tiny seedlings that they have pushed through the soil. They are so indulgent. They say things like, Wow, you're really into gardening, aren't you? (laughs) When I know they're thinking, she should be seeing somebody about this. Early April kicks things into high gear. Soil gets turned, peas, onions, and spinach get planted. Even though my neighbors bundled up for their walk around the block saying, are you crazy? It's still freaking winter out here. There's nothing that connects me with what is sacred more strongly than planting. I am witness to creation. I am fully present in the moment as I place the seed in the earth and make sure the conditions are just right for the plant to grow and thrive. Yet I am also connected to the future, for surely planting is an act of faith. When I add a plant to our fellowship garden, it's only partly for the enjoyment of all of us. It also touches me deeply to know that years from now, Future gardeners will have some of my plants to work with as they create their own gardens in that space and pass them down to others. In May, all of my gardens are in springtime rush. I tend to the giving garden plots at the Intergenerate Community Garden at Marsh Sanctuary. I see my garden neighbors sharing knowledge, delight, and way too much lettuce, gathering, gathered from their own plots. I'm very proud that the UUFNW has such a strong presence in this garden. We support it financially, and a number of our folks have plots there. This year, the UUFNW has rented a plot so that we can grow even more food for the food bank. You'll be hearing more about that from Marion in a few minutes. Suddenly, it's July, and I'm picking broccoli, peas, lettuce, daisies, and roses. In gardening, as in life, It is very easy to be caught up in the destination so that one forgets the pleasures of the journey. As a novice gardener, all I wanted to do was to get those seeds and plants in the ground and have tomatoes and zinnias the next week. It's true that the payoff, the harvest, can be wonderful. I have a friend who lives in the city, and she brought her young children to visit one day. We went into the garden, and I pulled out a carrot for them. These two little girls were like, Their mouths dropped open. They had no idea carrots grew in the ground. (laughs) They just sort of sat and sat in stunned silence for a moment. And then all of a sudden, both of them just dove into the garden and started pulling everything in sight, squealing with delight. With flowers, the payoff, of course, is those gorgeous colors. When a neighbor oohs and ahs over my iridescent deep purple iris and my luscious pink peonies, I confess there is pride in my heart. Yet I have come to see that the payoff is far from everything. People say gardening is a lot of work, and it's true, but I don't really see it that way. When I garden, I'm attuned to the feeling of the air that surrounds me, the redolent soil that teems with life, the tidy green rows with so much possibility, and the pleasure of using my experience, my knowledge, and my sore muscles to create something beautiful. That's not work. I don't even mind weeding. So we've determined that gardening is a spiritual activity. It requires a great deal of discipline and devotion. Gardening is my favorite way of experiencing the divine. I am totally connected to the natural world. Hmm, 
Does that make gardening a religion? My husband and my son certainly think so. No, I have a perfectly good religion. Thank you. I don't need another one. Nevertheless, it is a sacred endeavor. This is just one of the violas that I have grown from seed since February. Just holding it gives me goosebumps. As I place it in the ground, the divine life force that I call holy fills me and eman- as if it's emanating from the fledgling leaves. I never fail to be awestruck by the fact that I have a role to play in creating abundance in a garden. Some might say it's a leading role, but I know who's really in charge. She reminds me every time I step into my, I mean her, garden. Memories from Victory Garden. I was seven years old when the war ended in 1945, the age of reason. I had a lot of things to think about. Prisoners, bombs, hunger, and basically surviving. My father and my mother were determined parents. They had four children to feed. In the small garden in the backyard of a house in the city, we had a few chickens. My parents also were renting a house near Waterloo. The garden was transformed into a victory garden, also called war garden. My mother took charge as the designator gardener. We were the helpers, weeding, hooing, eating carrots, raspberries, peas. There were rows of beans, lettuce, and leeks. Where we played soccer was now a potato field. Some grass were left for our two sheep. Thanks to our hard work, we exchanged vegetables and fruits for flour from the farmer down the road. On one of our trips back to the city, our tram was stopped by German soldiers. The floor was given to me to hide. I did a good job. Yes, you do learn to lie. It is called survival ethics. Victory gardens were planned to reduce the pressure on the public food supply during World War I. It was considered a moral booster. The gardeners would feel empowered by their contribution. The slogan was to plant the seeds of victory. My mother continued to have a garden after the war, and we enjoyed the excellent meals she would prepare. I have now a small plot at Heritage Hills with lettuce, radish, carrots, and the memories of our victory garden came back vividly. Now, a grassroots campaign promoting such gardens has sprung up in the form of new victory gardens. Michelle Obama has kitchen gardens on the White House lawn, the first since Eleanor Roosevelt to raise awareness about health food. To me, gardening is indeed a moral booster, a time to slow down, to get my hands dirty, a time for myself.